0: Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your
1: podcasts. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, it's not quite as uh, exuberant, exciting, uh, happy of a show as it was after the last match against Iran on Tuesday night. We are coming to you after the U.S.'s loss to the Netherlands 3-1 to one in the round of 16 here in Qatar. U.S. is now out of the World Cup. Uh, and a match that I think for me was a pretty big disappointment. Um, I thought it was their worst match of the tournament by a pretty wide margin. I thought they weren't particularly close in this game and had a few moments where they really switched off defensively, which is not something we're used to seeing from this team, especially in the group stage when they were so defensively strong. We're going to break it down for you, starting with the match itself, talk a little bit about what's to come, uh, both in the near term and in the long term. But, Paul, let's, let's break down the match. We started with some questions about if Christian Pulisic would start. He did. And who would start up top. Uh, we were in for a surprise there. Greg Berhalter went with Jesus Ferreira. Josh Sargent did not dress because of his ankle injury. Um, and then at center back, Walker Zimmerman was reinserted into the 11. I said that weird. Um, how did you think it played out? How did you th- what, what are your broad takeaways on the match? And then maybe we can go through a little bit of the chronology of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you that this was their worst game of the World Cup. I thought that they played... This was the game where I felt like a team dictated more the style of play and the way the game was going to be played more than the U.S. did. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought the U.S. had the majority of control against Wales. There were were moments that I think Wales took the game over for, for spurts. Yeah. But I thought in this game, the the Dutch were in in control. Um, I felt U.S. was in control against England. I guess in the second half against Iran, you know, Iran was attacking like crazy. I would say say the
1: moments that the U.S. was tied in the group stage, they didn't trail at all in the group stage. The moments that they were tied, they were mostly in control of the matches. When they were winning, the other teams sometimes gained control.
0: Yeah, and I I just think that, um, you know, for me... It was – I think it was a little bit surprising in how they weren't able to kind of find spaces to, to do to do more, to be a little bit more effective. Now, I, I do think those opportunities existed again. Uh, we know, obviously, that Christian Pulisic had a big chance to score a goal less than three minutes into the game. Uh, that would have changed the game completely from the one we ended up watching yeah. for, for obvious reasons. but you know, considering the amount of space that Holland was giving the U S and the fact that, you know, in the, in the mix zone after the game, Tim Ream said we were prepared for that. Like we were told that that was what was going to happen, that the center backs were going to have the ball that we were going to have to carry it forward, that we were going to have to play those passes. So it wasn't like Holland, the Netherlands caught the U S off guard in that respect, yeah. which, that surprised me because it seemed like they were caught off guard but but tim Reem said that that's literally what the players were prepared to play against and so for, it didn't look like it it, yeah. it just felt like in this match more than any other there was a lack of execution both like you said in the attacking end which we've been used to to a certain degree mm-hmm. but then in the defensive side and that was the difference is that yeah in those key moments where the u.s has been able to get away with their lack of efficiency in the final third because they were so good defensively when you lose that focus defensively, that's the edge you're living on when you can't finish consistently. Yeah.
1: It creates very thin margins. The U.S. lived on them in the group stage and they, they were able to succeed. Tonight, they did not. And so you mentioned, Paul, the, the Pulisic chance in the third minute. Uh, seven minutes later, the U.S. got punished and it was a fantastic goal that the Netherlands scored. A Really like a vintage Dutch move. Like this is why people have fallen in love with Dutch soccer over the years. This is why it's so influential and why it's been so influential in the game at every level for decades. It, it's moves like these. Uh, it was a 20-pass sequence, actually the longest passing sequence that ended in a goal in Holland's World Cup history, which is kind of remarkable.
0: Totally remarkable considering yeah, what, what you just said they, about and uh, what we all know of the history. Of they the swung
1: team. it around the back. They did a really great job building up the left. Um, and then breaking pressure, finding Memphis Depay, Davy Klaassen back to Depay, up to Gakpo in space. And then they were off and running. Gakpo played it out to, to Dumfries, who, who hit a brilliant cut cutback, uh, to Depay, who had continued his run all the way from inside their own half. And first time finish, really good finish, but for as brilliant as it was of a goal. And it really was an excellent goal. Uh, we saw something that we're not used to seeing from the US on this play. And that in particular was was Tyler Adams just not tracking Depay. Uh Adams was so good in the group stage. So 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 good defensively. Tracking everything. I thought he played within himself a little bit more than he sometimes does. That he was really disciplined. Um thought he was the best player for the US in the group stage. And it probably wasn't even that close. And and he just didn't he didn't stay with him, and, and kind of lost track of him. And and pie who's a great player, made him pay.
0: Yeah, I think there was, you know, a couple people thought that maybe Adams thought that Yunus Musa was going to rotate over and cover for him there. But I think in general, you you probably you can't just let a guy run by you like that no. in midfield. In general, I think it was. Look, I I do think, and and I will want to watch this game back because I think you and I have gained a lot of perspective from taking a deep breath from what you're watching live in the stadium and rewatching it to see yeah. what you think. Especially when
1: you're trying to write at times during yeah, the game. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: I I think my impression was there were some moments in this game where you could see the heavy legs. You could mm-hmm. see the influence of of the of these guys who have started every game in this World Cup, played yeah. a lot of the minutes. I Done you, a
1: ton of running. The U.S. has of, played an incredibly physically physical style here yeah, in Qatar. I mean,
0: I think you saw it from Eunice Musa. I think you saw it with Tyler Adams. I think you saw it with Anthony Robinson. Dest uh, with Sergio Dest, though. For me, I thought Sergio Dest also expended a lot of energy early in the game. Just, I think, excitement got to him of playing against a little bit. the Netherlands. I think it broke down his decision making that has been so good in this tournament. I think probably helped him get there quicker in terms of. You know, Yeah, burned out a burning. little faster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah no, um, I mean, there
1: was a moment, it was probably in like the third minute, maybe not even, when you turned to me and you were like, Sam, Dest, like you missed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm already noting it. I'm already putting it in my game notes Yeah, I think, it, I mean, <laughs>
0: I think within the first, I, I don't know if it was the first three minutes, but I think within the first 10 minutes, there were three instances in which Dest could have played Tim Wea in space, open on his right and opted to dribble instead and that was just something that that's a that's kind of who Dest is normally but it's not the Dest that we've seen at the World Cup. We we we've seen a Dest who's been a really good decision maker, been very clean on the ball and it's hard to blame him. I mean, he's, he's young. It's an emotional game He's on for a him. huge stage, and he wants – he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's against he talked the country of the his preview, birth. Yeah. You know, and he wanted to make an impression. It wasn't the right decision. I think they both – you know, on all three of those instances, I thought that there were opportunities that could have really resulted from playing the pass. And, in fact, one of the sequences that that happened again later in the game, Tim Way ended up firing off a volley that forced a big save. Um, but I, I do I, I think that the things were just off in this game I, I think it was Weston McKinney who said it I put it in my story it's
1: basically just like when you don't have it on night you don't have when it when you don't that.
0: have it you don't have it and that, that's how it felt the whole game for me with the US it, and it was the first time in this tournament that I thought that Yeah.
1: No, they, we had talked pretty extensively about how they were always rising to meet the moment and tonight they fell a little short you talked about the fatigue aspect uh, the players were asked about that a lot um, after the match a lot of different players were basically, hey, you guys have defended so well in these big, you know, turning point moments in the group stage, and you didn't tonight. What's the difference? Were you fatigued? And, you know, they didn't take that bait, but watching them play, they looked it, and that happened again later in the first half, at the very end of the first half, on the second goal for the Dutch. It's a throw-in, deep on the right-hand side. Denzel Dumfries plays it to Martin Darun, Plays it straight back to Dumfries. Jesus Ferreira rotates off rune and tries to take it off Dumfries. Doesn't do it. He doesn't get back in the play. Dumfries carries it forward. Tyler Adams rotates off his guy. He gets there. puts some pressure on him. But Dumfries still gets off the cross. And it's the same cross. Cuts it back again into that same area that he found the pie. This time, daily Blind. It's never good, Paul, when the right wing back is crossing to a left wing back. Fergal, never good. Uh, on the defensive end, and and he takes advantage of a very inattentive Sergino Dest in that moment, gets to the ball, uh, and has a very nice finish, and it's two nothing. And at that point, to me, I think I said this to you at the break. I was like, uh, "That's that's kind of it, man. I don't see them come climbing out of this hole." Ultimately, they did not.
0: I mean, to give up that goal last kick at the half, it's it brutal. Just, it, it just was a gut punch
1: because they had started to actually build a little bit of momentum. They, they didn't play very well in the first half at all, but the last five or so minutes, they'd strung together a few promising attacks.
0: Yeah, and I think also, for me, there was, like, we were talking about this um, after the game. I asked you whether you would have made a change before halftime, and you were saying that, you know, with today's rules and the only certain number of sub changes you get and halftime doesn't count. That you wouldn't have done it, but also that it was one nothing until that last second, yeah. 15 seconds away. one nothing wasn't so bad. Like, you have a chance to make adjustments. All it takes is one goal. Um, yeah, you're right in it. That second yeah. goal was just, it was just such a killer. And the way it happened made it worse. It just came kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. I thought both goals came against the run of play. Like, in the first 10 minutes, the U.S. was having some yeah. of their best spells of possession. I wouldn't say the second were, came against They it, were... So they were attacking, they were creating and then the goal happened. And then late in the game they were getting more into the game and
1: I don't late in the half. Oh,
0: sorry, late in the half they were getting more into the game and you know that throw-in happened. It didn't you know, it wasn't like it was like they were controlling the game at all. No, it like was a completely. long ball forward, I think. But it was yeah. like the you know they they were comfortable at that point in time. Like the half was almost out and then it was like a throw-in and then boom, it was a goal. Yeah. And it just felt like all of that together just felt like yeah, like what you said in and and that moment, which is like, I don't know if they can come back from that. And, and this is also a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. Well, that's so why scoring I two saying goals it. in general. Less, is, is I wasn't saying it because of the mental,
1: yeah. the emotional gut punch. I was saying it because I didn't see them scoring two goals. And they didn't, ultimately. Um, the Dutch really took them out of their game on the ball, I thought, pretty much the whole night, uh, but especially in the first half. We mentioned Ferreira starting, he's a smaller striker. He likes to drop deep. He doesn't like to run in behind. doesn't offer an option as a direct outlet or, or somebody that's running in behind the back line. We know this. We saw it again tonight. So the Dutch, I thought, did a really good job. They played a 3-4, 1-2 formation like they have all tournament. The two forwards in the first half, Gakpo and Depay, stayed really wide, and they tried their best, and they succeeded to a degree, of preventing Tim Reim and Walker Zimmerman from playing the ball to Dest and Robinson, which is how the U S is really, they've done a lot of attacking through those two in this tournament. And so they kind of took them off their game in that way. They funneled play into the middle. They were man marking the midfielders for the U S and they said, all right, beat us, beat us through your midfield. And the U S couldn't really do it. And, uh, they weren't looking the part that was driving me crazy, Paul. And I talked about this in the September window, talked about it on this show before, but Ferreira's dropping deep, so he's not an option over the top. The Dutch lines were so compact. There was a ton of space behind. Tim Wea is super fast. Christian Pulisic's got decent speed too. Neither of them really looked to get behind that much. And the U.S., when they did look to get behind, the U.S. largely ignored them until those last few minutes of the first half, and that was driving me absolutely nuts. I was like, play a direct ball. Even if it doesn't work, you're at least keeping them honest a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's funny talking to Jesus Ferrer after the game. He was saying, like, yeah, I mean, we wrote about it, too. You know, part of the design of the system when you're playing against a, a back three like that is that when you check, you, you pull center backs out with you. But because Holland was staying so compact and letting the U.S. center backs have the ball, when Jesus Ferrer was dropping to try to find the ball, the center backs weren't moving. They didn't need to. They were just staying there. Yeah. There was,
1: they didn't need this, to follow this him. The
0: space was covered. Yeah. And as a result, the, the, the areas that they were looking to play those passes were gone. And, and I think that actually led to some of the decisions that, that had me scratching my head from Tim Ream. You don't usually see him give the ball away in, in bad spots. He gave the ball away a few times, and it's because, one, I think it, he was dribbling to his right to try to break – Lines through through carrying the ball and and when you're a left footed player and you're dribbling in that direction you get stuck a little bit on your foot but the second thing was that he was trying to play these long line breaking passes to the wingers and to the fullbacks that were pushing forward because he didn't have those options that he that he thought he was going to have and you know, the the Dutch read those passes and made those interceptions and, and there were a couple of dangerous moments that came out of it. Yeah. But I, I, I think it speaks to just how organized they were, how much they knew exactly how the U.S. preferred to attack. The fact that the U.S. doesn't like to attack centrally because they don't really have enough. Because they're not nine. good they at it. They don't have an yeah. option there. <laughs> and when you look at the numbers, they were are, – are, are we have a great um, – team of data analysts with the athletic uk who do a really good job of of writing about it and updating us during the game um you know as the things that they're seeing and in two different games they pulled the stats on where the majority of the attacks are coming from and it was like i think it was like something ridiculous like I don't know, less than twenty percent of the attacks were coming it was from the very, middle. Third very,
1: very, very wing heavy.
0: Yeah, everything. And and that that's just how they've always that's how they played through qualifying. They wanted to run through the fullbacks. It it was just it became very evident today, you know, watching that game, just kind of how how much the focus was on taking out those lanes, taking out those options and trying to force the US into one specific place. Well, this is-
1: This is why I've been saying for a long time that you can't play Ferreira because he clogs that space and he doesn't offer an option high and the U.S. become really compact and they become pretty easy to defend. And I think that's what we saw tonight, at least in the first half. Ferreira came out in the second. He came out at halftime. Gio Reyna came on the enigma. Gio Reyna, he was inserted as a a striker at halftime. Um, the U.S. came out. I thought they started the second half better. I think they generated a chance pretty early in the second. Uh, but again, it wasn't really free-flowing attacking movements. It was some moments in transition. There were some set pieces. There were things that they were doing better, but it, it never really felt like they were taking the reins of that match. Uh, Haji Wright eventually came in, in the, later on in the second half for Tim Weah. Uh Girena then moved to the wing and Haji Wright was involved in a couple of big plays. Um, Another gift that the Netherlands gave and the U.S. could not take advantage of in the 75th minute, a a terrible, terrible back pass that that basically played Haji Wright right in on goal, and Haji Wright took a really bad first touch and completely cut off his angle, wasn't able to score. I think a minute later or so, he did score on... One of the weirdest goals I've ever seen live.
0: Yeah. How do you describe what happened there? I don't know. He had his back leg trailing to try to reach for a ball that was behind him. And it cross in
1: from the right wing. He made the run to the near post. Yeah. It
0: hit his foot and it popped up in the air over the goalkeeper and into the far post. It was very weird. It was
1: like almost into the top corner. It was totally bizarre. I laughed for, I think a solid minute when it happened. It was just, I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, you saw it, but That goal, I've never seen anything like it, and I doubt I will ever see anything like it again. It was totally bizarre. Um, So it's 2-1. Game on. A little bit of momentum. The U.S. crowd is finally into it after having really nothing to cheer for all match. And you're like, okay, here we go. I think I started yelling at people in the press row. Um, We had like seven people there from The Athletic, which was kind of cool. Um, And then Holland comes down just a few minutes later, and gets a dagger on a third, and another one, Paul. They just totally fell asleep, totally fell asleep. Netherlands get the ball, they advance it down the left, eventually drop it back, play it back out wide to Daly Blind. He picks up his head, he has time. Uh, Gakpo and, and Steven Bergwijn at this point are in the middle, and Denzel Dumfries is, is out there at the back post all by his lonesome. The U.S. weren't outnumbered. They just didn't see him. He was in the box, I counted this, for six seconds before he hit the ball. And they had no idea. Nobody had any idea that he was there. Eventually, it's a pretty easy finish off the volley from the top of the six-yard box. It happens. Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson turn around. They're like, oh, God. Did not see that guy there. Anthony Robinson should have been his man. He didn't pick him up. Dumfries finished with a goal and two assists. Man of the match performance for him, and that was it for the U.S. Once that happened, it was game over. Yeah, I
0: mean, those goals and, and hearing you talk about them, again, this is a team that didn't give up a goal in the run of play in the group stage. This is a team that was very good defensively for the most part through qualifying.
1: Yeah. It was, was, their, strength? was their strength.
0: It was their strength. It was a very weird Performance from this U.S. in terms of the, the types of breakdowns that happen in general, missing guys running through midfield, you never would account on, you'd never you just don't think that that happens against this team. Mm-hmm. Um, the losing runners at the far post, like these are the yeah, things that was they've Elementary, been, it was basic stuff, it's man. It's just things that you you just you, we've seen this team handle.
1: I mean, it's know? it's stuff that like you know high school teams get screamed at if they do.
0: Yeah, so I, I just I just thought that. Overall, you know, again, and and this is where my thing is. It's like it was disappointing. It was disappointing because they had played the way they did in the group stage. And so I tried to take that perspective as well. And I, I wrote it this way. I thought it was striking to me that you know, Tyler Adams kind of had been able to find that viewpoint by the time he walked off the field. And he was a guy who, who sat down on the field after after the, res, the final whistle, you know, was exhausted was and yeah. just sat there just kind of head he was down pretty distraught. staring, staring yeah. at nothing. But by the time he had gotten down into the tunnel, into the mix zone on the way to the locker room, he was able to think about the perspective of the big picture. And I think it's important to remember this too when we're talking about this World Cup and this team, and that is – in the big picture, the disappointment of the night of this one result does not and should not supersede the, the overall positives that I think came out of this tournament, and, and we can talk about some of those in the next
1: segment. Stay with us, Allocation Disorder.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Paul, you just said it. There is a bigger picture here in the World Cup. Um, That was a very bitter and disappointing end and a poor performance that I think is going to stick with this team for quite a long time. But... They are a young team, the second youngest at the World Cup, much younger than any other U.S. team in recent history to play at a World Cup, and there is a World Cup coming in three and a half years, not four, three and a half, to the United States, Canada, and Mexico. The hope, of course, is that this young team will improve and get more consistent and be better, and some new young players will emerge, maybe at positions of need, perhaps, like striker, maybe, who knows. Uh, and this team will improve and will be in a, in a position to really push on and go further than they ever have at a World Cup by the time it comes back home to the U.S. in a few years. So that's the bigger picture here. There was a little bit of talk about that tonight. Um, but, Paul, you wrote about this. What, what's your overall position? Well,
0: I think, you know, the headline on my piece and the tweet that I use on my piece is Wes McKinney's quote, which is, I think we've shown that we can be giants eventually. And I don't agree with what Wes McKinney said. Now, I agree with the (laughs) bigger picture of what he said, which is that he felt like over the last few years, because of the way the last few years went, that the U.S. men didn't get their... Not the recognition they deserve. Not, I mean, he said respect. He said said respect, like respect, right? Like that. That, and I get where he's coming from. In some ways, they don't. But like, well, he didn't play a role, and they didn't play a role. Most of these guys, outside of Christian Pulisic, didn't play a role in what happened in 2018. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. But like, that's how this team is thought of in the country, outside of our little niche. The people listening to this podcast and the people who followed along our coverage who have more nuanced opinions and who know the team a little bit better. Their, their complaints are valid complaints. They're specific complaints. They're detailed complaints about things <laughs> that matter and things that don't. But they're not the big picture stuff that, that Wes and McKinney's talking about here. So I'm, I'm giving them a little bit of credit and that I understand that there's frustration with this idea that the U.S. Men, that men's national team are terrible and horrible and awful. They're not. They're also not going to be giants eventually based on this now they have
1: a long way to go before. what I do
0: think is when when I you know some of the early comments to me tweeting about this story which I did just before the end of that first segment that we were recording is saying well they haven't really progressed they they got to the same place as 2010 and 2014 that's true they're more than two years younger by average age than the teams in 2010 and 2014 and it would be even sig- more significant of a gap if Tim Ream wasn't in, in the starting line. Is that
1: the whole team or just the 11?
0: Uh, the 11.
1: Really? I would have guessed more than that. Or
0: maybe it's the whole team. Anyway. Yeah, maybe it's the whole team. The graphics in the story.
1: Um, <laughs> so look at you, the you keep talking. I'll, I'll figure it out for you. But,
0: you know, I think that makes for a significant difference between the 2010 team and the 2014 and this team. And so did Matt Turner. He kind of said, like, kind of shook his head and was kind of like, if you can't see the potential and, and kind of what makes it different, like that's on you. That's not a, that's not an us problem. That's a you problem. That for me colors this tournament. This tournament was a chance for these players to compete under this spotlight in these moments in Ways that they never have before, and I thought that they responded pretty darn well to those moments
1: for the most part. Yeah,
0: until the knockouts. Yeah, I thought that they showed that they can't. They can go like they did go toe to toe with England. Now, in my opinion, they also
1: they also went toe to toe with Wales and Iran
0: but that's the world cup. Yeah. I mean, Argenti- a, Argentina a, lost to Saudi Arabia, no, but it's Argentina a, just beat Australia two to one. And it could have been two to uh-huh. two in the final. Seconds. It's just,
1: it's just important to add that context. I,
0: I think also in my opinion, as I was going to say, there's a difference in my opinion between the giants of the sport and England. Yes. Like, I might be offending my colleagues from the UK and saying that, but I look at England differently than I do Brazil. than I do France, Argentina. than I do France and In this tournament, even Spain, I, when the draw happened, thought that there couldn't have been a better pot one matchup for the U S and England, other than Qatar, obviously Mm. for a reason. Yeah. So the reality is that there are, and and the second section of my story kind of focused on this, there are some, a lot of positives that come out of this tournament, that midfield trio doing what they did against England, and those are quality players they did against. Rice and Bellingham and Mason Mount. Like, they, they won that battle.
1: Did you just call Mason Mount a quality player? No. Paul, this is a, a big step for you.
0: <laughs> you I'm really glad that Brooks, our editor Brooks Peck, doesn't listen to my podcast. To what is perceived <laughs> well, Someone's going to let him know now. <laughs> no. No. Leave it. Um, what is perceived as, as, as good players. Um, and now i've lost my lost my train of thought because you're because you you got me in the midfield the midfield played well There were at the midfield played well christian pulisic best attacking player for the u.s all tournament was involved in every single goal that the u.s scored which is what you'd hope from your your best attacking player and your biggest star Mm -hmm. tim weah i think delivered exactly what we've seen him deliver when healthy during qualifying which is consistently getting into dangerous places impacting the game scored a goal had another goal called back had a couple moments where he could have had assists had a couple moments he could have had more goals mm-hmm. Serginho desk best i've seen him play in the u.s uniform was the three group stage games yeah there were good moments there, there were there also as i wrote were big question marks yeah, The number nine position being the biggest one, which has been the one that's followed this team for as long yeah. as we've covered them I, in the last think, few years. I
1: think maybe we can say that Greg Berhalter made the wrong choice with his selections for the roster and probably with his selections for, for the starting lineup earlier against the Netherlands. We can maybe get more into that later or not. I don't know. It's easy to say those things in hindsight. but
0: Yeah, but I mean, Greg Berhalter said it when he selected the roster. He said, look, I don't know if... It's the right decision yeah. to leave Ricardo Pepe at home. This is the decision I'm making. And Ricardo Pepe might have a good argument for why he would have been the better choice. And I think we saw tonight a reason why, you know, that Jesus Ferrer just, he, he wasn't up for it. No. For the moment. So, yeah. We, now, we also don't know what Pepe would have done
1: if you threw him in there, right? Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. Pepe is currently in, in the Netherlands with his team, Groningen. Uh, he lost the bet with some of his teammates tonight and he had to put on a a Dutch Jersey at whatever establishment that they were at and jump on a little stage that had, it had a pole on it, I think.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) so it's usually a good time that he's going to have a good night. Well, we can say that much at least. Yeah.
1: Anyway, interesting Um, night.
0: Yeah. So I look, I I agree with you. I think that there were questions about that decision at the number nine. Also, there was no clear answer
1: there. Yeah.
0: And, that's something that's going to have to change over the next four years. And right, center back right, right now,
1: be- I mean, I'm not super well-versed on the on the, on the the pipeline at this particular moment at three in the morning in Qatar, but it doesn't look amazing. So th- there's going to need to be something that breaks or changes and, in a little bit different way.
0: I mean, remember this, like, I think, how old is Jesus Ferrer, 21? Mm-hmm. Ricardo Pepe's 19.
1: Yeah, no, those guys could progress. I'm not saying that. Josh Sargent's only 22.
0: not just that those guys could progress, but also that, you know, that means that four years ago at this time, you know. Yeah,
1: I'm saying I'm not following the 15 and the 17-year-olds. Right. So,
0: like, you hope that also maybe somebody emerges from that that group of of players. I actually thought Josh Sargent was decent.
1: He's decent, but, you know – He's he's one of those guys that seems to do a lot of things decently except score goals. Yeah. I mean, there was a big
0: hole in this lineup, and it's a pretty important one, especially yeah. at a World Cup, and that was a goal scoring number nine. Yeah. And they got to get that figured out. Yep. Center back, you had a 35-year-old and a 29-year-old. That's an area where you hope Miles Robinson, Chris Richards help out the situation. A Maybe decent Eric amount. Palmer Brown. Eric Palmer Brown, Mark McKenzie were both involved.
1: I'm not too worried about that spot. You no, know, we'll
0: we'll see what happens There's there. Some other
1: guys come in there too.
0: I I, I think – But I I think the big picture for me is that I thought overall this was a positive World Cup for this team. I thought overall I I think they took more positives out of their four games than they did negatives. I think overall they did change the way people think about this team to some degree. How much they did that, I don't know. I actually think – by the end of the tournament, like, the audience I talked about at the beginning, the ones who know this team really well and have their minds made up about a lot of aspects of this team, like, they didn't change any of those minds. They didn't make any of those people feel better. Eh. But I do think, like, in the larger audience, the Charles Barkley audience, we'll call it, they, they did. They did change some minds. Or not change minds is the wrong way to put it. They Shifted. They, yeah, they, they introduced themselves, really, is what it was. They yeah. said, hey, we're here, we're young, we're pretty decent, I think better than you think.
1: I think Adam said a quote that was basically like, yeah, like if you look at this team, I think you can see, and I think people did see back home, that there's more quality here than maybe there has been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think in some ways that's a little bit of a disservice to past U.S. teams. There's certainly more potential. With this one and, and we'll see where it goes potential does not mean that they will fulfill it so. i do
0: i do think also that tyler adams is saying that in the context of the age of this team i think he's he's talking about i, I do think that he said it. smart enough to realize he, that
1: he literally said quality
0: I, I know what he said but i'm saying <laughs> that i think that tyler adams is smart enough to recognize to a certain degree that part of this is not just the quality of the players themselves it's the quality of the players themselves in the context of their age, yeah. like that matters. I mean, you know, somebody mentioned it do, like, it oh, this quote it, from Berhalter is like, was like, I think it was Twelman was tweeting like, this quote from Berhalter, like, is this about the number nine? What am I missing? Christian Pulisic won a Champions League because Berhalter has a quote where he says, we don't have a Memphis Depay, right? We don't. They have, don't. And they they don't have that. And not only that, when I went and looked, like Depay twenty eight years old.
1: Is he only twenty eight? He's only twenty-eight, dude. It feels like he has been around
0: forever. That's, that's four years older than Christian Pulisic, who is the oldest attacking player that we watched at this tournament. Like, I mean, he's.
1: Uh, do you think Christian Pulisic is going to play a game in a world like Memphis? The pie was great tonight.
0: I don't know, but I I think that I think four years matters when yeah. you talk about the development of a
1: player. I'm just saying when you're twenty-four. When you're years, twenty-four,
0: I think those four years matter. I think the four years that are coming up for this group matter a lot with Eunice Musa is going to be 24. Yeah. Gio Reyna is no, going to be they, 24. They, they Christian Pulisic is going to be 28. Weston McKinney's is going to be 28. Tyler Adams is going to be 27, 28. Josh Sargent, 26. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like they're going to be entering their prime in four years now.
1: Middle of their prime.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll get to this quote, I think in more full context, but. Nothing's guaranteed. We've learned that going into this tournament with Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, injuries can happen. But that's still set, you know, that idea that this whole group is going to be in that portion yeah, I of mean, their it, careers. We'll see, though.
1: Like, that's my point here is that, like, we'll see, right? I think they showed in some ways when they're at their best that they compete, compete with the best in the world. They also showed tonight in particular that they still have some pretty big weaknesses and they still have a long way to go if they want to get to that level consistently they're not there and will they be there four years from now i don't know maybe maybe not they have a lot of growth to do if they want to be and it's going to require a lot of things to go right for a lot of different guys so i think when you're projecting out just keep that in mind i'm not saying it's impossible i'm not saying it won't happen i'm just saying it's not automatic
0: right and that was the quote from tim reave nothing is guaranteed you know, he said you have to approach every training session, every game like it's your last because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I think that speaks it's it's true for this team and you know, as I wrote, like you can't just expect that you're going to get better because you're supposed to. Yeah. Like there has to actually still be improvement. I mean, how many guys
1: now. over the years have made a made an appearance with the US? And we th- we thought big things for them are coming and we never really heard from him again. It's happened a lot. Sure. I and think
0: in this case, there's just...
1: Th- I'm not saying these guys the, are going the, away. The, I'm the just numbers
0: of, of these guys, the number of guys that exist here, you'd, you'd think like the odds are in your favor that some of them will come through. Yeah, but-
1: no, I think so too. But like like I said, they have a long way to go to become a top team. And like, I think we knew that already, but it was hammered home tonight. Um Paul, you said it's a positive overall World's Cup. I would agree with you because I've been a negative Nancy over here for the last couple of minutes. I think it was a really positive World's Cup. I think they played well in the group stage, better than I thought they would, to be totally honest. Um, I thought they did not play so well in the knockout round match, but I think a lot of that was due to fatigue. And when you play three really hard physical games in the group stage and you try and play a physical style in the knockout round, which the U.S. should do. That's what, that's what their strengths are. And I'm not saying Greg Berhalter should have rotated the team. He should not have. He did the right thing by starting all those guys repeatedly. He had to do it. And um, but they got gassed. And so winning the group comfortably, that's important. They weren't able to do that. They had to qualify by the skin of their teeth. That's depth, right? That's quality. And and so again, I'll keep repeating myself. There's a ways to go. I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I think that they showed a lot of what they're capable of. I think they changed minds at home and I think they reminded people abroad that, hey, like, the U.S. is, like, a real country that we have to take seriously in soccer. You can't just push them around. You can't just look over them. And I think that's, honestly, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think we were there in 2010 and 2014 to an extent. The age is different for sure. And and so, again, they all see that abroad, and they think the same thing, like, oh, they could be even better in four years. You know, we'll have to take them a little bit more seriously potentially. But... Um, yeah. So I think overall a strong tournament, but just a reminder, there is a long way to go. Nothing's guaranteed. I think a lot of people,
0: not a lot of people, I think some people will disagree with this. I I think you might be in the group of some people. What I found most interesting just being here and, and hearing other people talk about the U S specifically, and especially coaches, managers, uh, of teams the U.S. was going to play was like this notion that this U.S. team plays better soccer than past U.S. teams. That was the thing that stood out to me. Uh, We can think, think of the different quotes. What was the quote coming from Kirosh, which I hate a lot oh, of the way they put this it was soccer, they don't play soccer man they play, now they they play, play football. football yeah which is just like it's the same sport it's just a different word man um <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I think that there's been some decent soccer played. I think there's incentive
1: as well for opposing coaches to hype up the team they're about to play.
0: I think there was some Belichick effect, but I do think there's a genuine. I mean, I I I don't think it's a coincidence that the tactics blogs loved it and that the managers. No, they played
1: well, man. That the opposing
0: managers loved it too. I think they they had. And maybe we'll go more into this in the in the last segment. But I do think that the way they approached the group stage games the way that they were set up for them, the way that they performed in them is like the, this team right now at its best. And to your point, that's not good enough yet to be a contender. The hope is... It is
1: good enough to make this a good World Cup, though. Yeah. And, and I think that's sort of the overarching point. Paul, let's let's take a break here. Let's come back. Let's talk about kind of the future, not in terms of potential, but in terms of what happens next with this coaching staff, with some of these players and, you know, what we made of some individual performances maybe here in Qatar. Stay with us. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are putting a bow on the U.S.'s run at the World's Cup. Paul, as we, I mean, it feels weird to transition ahead. We're only hours after they were eliminated. But as we look ahead, Greg Berhalter and his coaching staff are out of contract in a few weeks, the end of the month.
0: We don't even know. I, I tried to get Claire clarification on that they could be out of contract at the end of this tournament like that's true or right now but
1: they will be out of contract soon no later than a few weeks yes um which begs the question what to do with the head coaching position and that staff who knows if greg berhalter even is interested in coming back who knows if he'll have offers elsewhere obviously 2026 and hosting the World cup makes this job a little bit attractive but in the near term there's no qualifying it's gold cup it's nations league maybe it's copa america maybe there's some olympic involvement potentially for a senior team head coach but there's not that 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 lack of qualifying sort of takes a little bit of the excitement and interest out of this job from a coaching perspective so what do you think paul what did you think of Burholder's performance at this tournament i think we should start there and what do you think they should do with the gig
0: well, I think that Greg did a, a decent job in, the, in a, a good job. Greg. Yeah, Greg. That's his first name. I think he did. I mean, that's what we, we call him when we ask him questions at the press conference. Uh, Mr. Berhalter. Profe. Profe. Um, I, thought, I thought he did a good job in the group stage, frankly. I thought the, the tactical setups were good against Wales, against England, against Iran in the first half for sure. Um, I thought they spe- – I think that they contributed in a big way to the success of the U.S. team. Mm-hmm. In this game against the Netherlands, I think Louis van Hal had a better tactical setup than the U.S. And, and then Greg Berhalter. Yeah. He's a pretty decent coach uh, as well, by the way. Um, I was talking to you about this before the game tonight i do think that there is there are some aspects of greg berhalter that fit really well to tournament play and and having months of preparation he's a he is a tactics nerd he loves to dive into these things he loves to break down the details of different teams and players and matchups and i think it really played into his strengths i think it also simplified some of the tasks for this team and when they are bought in. And we heard multiple players, multiple coaches talk about how their impression of this team was that they were bought in on yeah. the system, yeah. that it accentuated the strengths of this team,
1: opposing players and coaches. Correct. I mean, yes.
0: And actually players on this team. Yeah. 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 Too. But, you know, um, but also the it hits a little players.
1: harder when the, when the uh, people from the outside say it.
0: Sure. And, and, you know, I just thought in that way, he made this team he maximized i think what you were going to get out of this team at this world cup in the group stage yeah now today's game saturday's game for that penalty against Wales was well that's yeah that was tactics all all tactics Uh um today's game i thought there could have been some adjustments made i I wonder what his perspective will be when he watches it back. He was fairly positive in the press conference about it. He He's, thought he,
1: when that he they very rarely something. goes after his team in the press conference. That's
0: true. Um, but I, I, I do think, like, they could have made some adjustments faster in the game to how they were doing things. But at the same time, it's like... I like there are moments where I'm like thinking oh this is great they're gonna give Tim Ream like 30 seconds on the ball to pick out the right pass like he's gonna pick out the right pass and he didn't um
1: there wasn't really one that existed a lot of the time honestly
0: yeah I just I don't I I think if you are look three of the four games he had the right tactical setup it worked really really well exactly as designed and it led to good results that, that means to me that you had a pretty good World Cup. Yeah,
1: I think uh, we talked about this, I think, on the last show. His starting plans, I think, were really good. I think sometimes in the middle of the game, particularly after the U.S. took a lead, you saw them become more passive. I don't know if that was a tactical decision or just something that sort of happened. Is as, as, as tends to happen in matches when goals, goals are scored. Um, you know, I think against the Netherlands, it wasn't great. Uh, I think if he could go back in time, he probably would not start Jesus Ferreira again. Um, and that that played a big role, uh, but I think a lot of it was just kind of tired legs, tired minds, and there's not a lot that he or anybody else could have done about that. Um, I think on the whole, group stage was good. Uh, knockout stage, not as good, but I don't really put this game on Burhalter, and I think he had a good tournament, and I think the U.S. played well. I thought they played cohesively. I thought they played with clear ideas, and... You know, I said it going into the tournament, Paul. If they get out of the group and make the round of 16 and play a decently competitive game, then I think that should be viewed as acceptable to mildly successful. And that's where we are right now. Yeah. So, if they had won against the Netherlands, that would have been, you know, amazing. That would have been a big success to reach the quarterfinals. Uh but I think as is, it's a pretty solid tournament with a admittedly bitter end. Um because they did not play well tonight and and that's going to that's going to stick with them, all of them. Um, in terms of what's next, I'm really curious. I don't know how it's going to shake out. Well, what do you think
0: should, do you think Greg Berhalter should come back? And I guess I, I'm going to phrase this in two ways. Do you think U.S. soccer should want Greg Berhalter back? And then do you personally think that he, that it would be the right thing for him to come back?
1: So I feel a little less strongly about this than I did before the tournament, to be honest with you. Before the tournament, I would have said, no, both parties go your separate ways. I don't think it's really anything involved with how good of a coach he is or I'm just not a huge believer in in national team managers going for two cycles uh, because I think the message gets stale. Greg is a pretty exacting guy, I would say. And when you're a pretty exacting guy, the message can get staler maybe a little bit faster. But I think there maybe is a path to keeping him and it working okay. And let me lay that out for you. I think it involves taking some time and space between the guys that were on this World Cup team and that were in camp a lot over the last 15, 16 months, or even longer than that, if you go back to Nations League a year and a half ago. So basically give them off for most of 2023. Bring the Olympic team to the Gold Cup next summer. Bring them to Nations League. Make it all about prepping them for their tournament because you're going to need to rely on some of those players come 2026. And there isn't going to be qualifying to blood them. So you need to take this really seriously. Give the main guys the time off. Let them go back to their clubs. Let them rest and recuperate a little bit. And and let them kind of take a mental breather. I think that would be really important. Let them come back refreshed for 2024 or late 23 and really push to get in that Copa America and take it seriously, like super duper seriously, more seriously than you take the Gold Cups. Like no rotation, treat it like you treated this tournament. Like that would be a massive opportunity. I hope they can get into it Um, because those are quality games in hostile environments, um, much different than what the US is used to against big time, some of the biggest opponents in the world. So hopefully they can do that, we'll see. Um, I do think that would be a good path. And I think, you know, from the other side of it, Paul, it's like, well, do you really want this job before like 2024, 2025? 2023 isn't gonna be a super fun time to be the US national team coach. Um, so I think maybe doing it that way could maybe add a little energy. And I think maybe the senior team coach like running the Olympic squad could add to that too. And taking, they've already qualified and taking them to the Teen Olympics in 2024 in Paris. But but what do you think? So that, that would be my path. I haven't even answered your question. That would be my path to how it should work. I, I don't know that they should do it, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's – I am a believer that I think it's very difficult to have your message work in a locker room for eight years. It's a long time to be listening to the same voice. Yeah. There's a reason why it doesn't typically work. It's just hard People grind on each other. I mean, Sam, you're ready to just choke me and we've only been hanging out and living together for three weeks here in Qatar. Actually,
1: full disclosure, Paul slapped me in the face two days into our trip <laughs> yeah. to Qatar. No, I'm kidding, that didn't happen.
0: Um, I, I just hesitate because I just don't think that it works. I don't think it works. Yeah. Now, what you said makes sense, I mean, and and I do think the Olympics and and using the gold cup to prepare for the Olympics would be a really smart tactic. regardless
1: of who manager is. Yeah, regardless.
0: Yeah. I mean, and let's just think at the, look at this World Cup roster. Guys who could play at the Olympics now. Some of them would definitely not get released by their clubs. But Joe Scali is just 19 years old. Eunice Musa is 20. Gio Reyna is 20.
1: You're not asking Musa to go.
0: Jesus Ferreira is 21. I'm talking about the Olympics. I'm not talking about anything leading up to it. I'm not talking about the Gold Cup. I'm talking okay. about next summer at the Olympics.
1: 24 summer. In, tw- in 2024,
0: yeah. Not the 2023 Gold Cup or the preparation or anything like that. I'm talking about just the actual. Well, tournament. you're not
1: taking those guys to the Olympics either because they're going to the Copa America in
0: 2024. Yeah. I, I think you have. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think you can. It, it depends. Like if you don't get into the Copa America, you, you have a chance to sure. still develop the team. You know, and I think you, you certainly have to be thinking about the next generation of players at the number nine, at goalkeeper, yeah. at multiple
1: spots. Mm, I think Matt Turner could be around 26.
0: Oh, Matt Turner will be around yeah, in 2026. He's only 28 years old. But right? you still need to develop the depth chart at sure. this goalkeeper position. So, I agree with you. And I would love to see this team play in the Copa America. I think they need to. Um. I just... And i think greg berhalter has done a good job i just think that this is a very difficult task eight years of giving the same message to the same people i mean the core of this team is going to be the core and, and we're the talking about like 26. I in an ideal world if everyone say health stays healthy of nine to eleven players you know that being said i thought you take this, I guess, to a certain extent with a grain of salt, because what are they going to say to reporters in the mix zone after a (laughs) game? But, you know, there were voices of support saying, I hope he's back. Anthony Robinson about Greg Berhalter. DeAndre Yedlin saying, look.
1: They can't really come out and say, no, I hate the guy. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, DeAndre Yedlin was a guy who said, look, what matters most and the hardest thing for a coach to do is have everyone, you know, pulling in the same direction, believing in in the same things. and, And he's done that. The question is could he do that for four more years? And and I just I have such little faith in sports. For,
1: that any coach can for do any that. coach. There's a reason that, that like CEOs and managers are supposed to change out every like five, six, seven we years. We talk about tops. this with
0: MLS all the time. Yeah. That they've had the same leaders for twenty years and yeah. that's why things don't don't happen yeah. in that league. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason we, pe- we look at what happens with Belichick and the people that he moves out of those locker rooms in New England. He knows, too. It's like, oh, my message might get stale with this group. I'm not going anywhere, so you all got to go. Like, that's how it is, right? It <laughs> doesn't
1: really work that way with a national it, team. It does not ball. work that
0: way with a national team. These guys are going to be around. So it's a, a huge decision if they don't if they don't bring Greg Berhalter back. Who are you looking at?
1: Well, that's the, that's the rub, man, because who wants this job?
0: Until 2024,
1: you know, like you have to get into Copa America. If you don't, then like, this is not an attractive position really until the World cup. If you do, then it becomes a better, a better uh, opportunity. I think a more attractive opportunity. Who would I approach? I mean, everyone's going to say Jesse Marsh. Um,
0: Very similar vibe. People don't think they're very different personalities, but I think their approach in the dressing room with this team would be very similar.
1: Yeah, in some ways. I think it would have a similar effect. How about that?
0: As Yedlin said, people like to make fun of us when we talk about how we're a vibes team. Yeah. But like, that we are We are that. And, like, and I think both Burhalter and Marsh are coaches that are, like, I embrace the vibes. I have
1: questions about how Marsh's style would work mm. on the international level. For sure. Um, that is, you have to be so well drilled and you have to be so fit. Leeds plays with... I don't want to say 11 Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronsons because the other guys probably aren't quite at that level of endurance and and crazy fitness, but they're close to it. And and you can't rely on that with the national team. You just can't. So I have questions about that. He's been very dogmatic in adhering to that approach at every stop that he's been at thus far at the club level since he was in New York. I mean, there's
0: no better indication of that than what happened at Leipzig.
1: Yes. And, And so would he adjust with the national team? Maybe. Maybe not. I have no idea. Uh, So that would be one that everyone would go for. But, Paul, I mean, you know who the big fish is out there. I think a lot of people do. There's been rumors over the years. I think he stated his interest at one point, but he also just signed a new contract. I'm referring to, of course, Pep Guardiola. Pep. Maybe you can have just like an interim manager for a couple of years, and then Pep can come in 2024 or something like that. Sound okay? Okay.
0: Uh, Sounds lovely. I I joked with you that, you know, it'd be interesting just to watch Pep Guardiola deal with coaching the U.S. men's national team, considering the teams that he's coached over his career from Barcelona to Bayern Munich to Manchester City. Yeah. But in addition to that, and he does have media responsibilities in those jobs, but when you're U.S. coach, things are just a little different. I don't think he'd be talking as much as Greg Berhalter does. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I don't think he would agree to sit down for an interview with our narrative podcast in four years. Maybe not. Maybe though. You know what? Maybe by the time, you know, time has passed, disorder, man. That, that thing will be remembered. We're, we're, we're having go a good Pantheon. month
1: with the podcast. So thank you all yeah, for thanks listening. Thanks everyone for listening. Yeah.
0: And you can still go back and listen to the narrative podcast. See how much we got right, what we got wrong.
1: I feel good about how, what I said. I don't remember any of it, but I feel good about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a good podcast. I don't know. All
1: right. All right. So are you keeping Berhalter or no? You're in charge of U.S. soccer. What are you doing?
0: I do not think that you should have the same manager for two consecutive cycles. So is that a no? I mean, I think – Paul, it's a simple question. No, it's not a simple question. I think practically speaking it's a no, but – If you do your due diligence and you start to reach out to people that you're interested in as manager and they're not available, then I keep Greg Berhalter. Yeah,
1: I think you have to kick the tires on some other guys. And if they turn you down.
0: Like, I'm not moving on from Greg Berhalter to hire, like, Diego Alonso. You know what I mean?
1: Or something like that. No. I think you have to weigh that. Yeah. In this Uh, decision. You have to look at what the alternatives are. If you're Greg Berhalter, are you staying? I mean, that obviously depends on what the alternatives are as well.
0: That, for me, is the big question. Because right now, if if like the tactical world is moving the way it seems to be moving about Greg Berhalter, this might be your best chance. To go get a big club job? Yeah. You know what would be a better chance to get a big club job? Going to the World Cup semifinals in 2026?
1: Exactly. That would be a better chance. If um, I'm
0: Greg Berhalter, I think you stay. I think you've built something that you think is really good. Certainly something that we all think can be built on that you can do more than what happened here in this tournament. they yeah. theoretically the team will be better in four years just from the growth of these players. And I think you, you, you think you've put all the work into doing this, right? Playing these young players through the qualifiers, mm-hmm. whatever. And then to hand that team off would not be easy. So I I do think if I was Greg Berhalter I I would try to stay into yeah. the in the twenty twenty
1: six is going to be an incredible opportunity for whoever does take this job and if you're him I I would if you, unless you got a really 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 good alternative out there I might stick with that that's it too. that's the thing is like if I'm US soccer
0: if Pep Guardiola is available it becomes a different conversation if we're talking about Tata Martino like is it do- worth is it worth the the change. It's like, it's like when players change clubs during a World Cup year. You know, it's like, oh, this, this could be better. But if it's not better, you're SOL. This is uh, it's
1: like the Pat Fitzgerald discussion. Kind that of. that'll be a reference no one no one yeah we've taken our
0: niche and we've we've, we've narrowed, narrowed down it down to like four i
1: think that's a sign people. paul that that maybe this is the end of the fact show. that
0: i can't make up my mind about what are I you want gonna to ask me is is a sign i did ask you i started off by asking no, I, you. and i
1: didn't answer <laughs> but then i asked you and you didn't answer and then i asked you again so now it's your turn to ask me again.
0: Okay, Sam. Now that, now that you've heard me not answer, do you have a different answer?
1: No, I actually agree with you entirely. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've maybe put some feelers out there about uh, alternatives, but if you can't find somebody that you really want that's better, then I think you run it back
0: and roll the dice. I, I think we've given solid advice
1: to the people who yeah.
0: definitely do not listen to the- this. Bernie is- Stewart, you know, if I could rank the many people in the world who don't listen to this podcast... I feel like Ernie Stewart's <laughs> near the top. <laughs> what are you
1: ranking them in order of likelihood to listen to the podcast? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, you feel very confident that Ernie does not listen. Yeah, I'd saying. be, I'd be surprised. Listen, we know some people at U.S. Soccer listen. Sure. Yeah, they just you know might not be in charge of the coaching search.
0: Maybe their job. The only reason that they listen to this podcast is to write up small reports of the dumb stuff we say to hand out to the people who don't want to listen to this podcast.
1: Yeah. That could be true.
0: If you know what, and if you are that person, sorry, and you're listening to this podcast, one, sorry, but two, make sure that you make clear that we did not give an answer to our own questions about this situation.
1: That's not true. We said kick the tires on other guys, and if if the but people with, out there that aren't interested, then you run it back
0: with Greg, with no clear picture of like the line of like who would be an improvement, other than Pep, Pep Guardiola. Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> Just. What about her Bernard high level analysis here in Allocation yeah. Disorder? It's 324 you know in the morning yeah. in Doha. Cut us some slack. I'm, I'm going to be home in less than 48 hours. We got a long way ahead of us here, Sam. Paul,
1: you've, this is the most energy you've had I'll show. And we're about it, to right manage. here. I'm a little Boom. mad. I'm actually a little mad at you about I'm this. I'm peaking. Yeah. I'm peaking right Don't now. Like you know why? So that I can crash for the last 40 minutes. I'm just ready to
0: crash. I'm just peaking so that I can crash harder.
1: All right. A couple more things before we oh, sign no. off. No. First, this is very important, Paul, and you'll understand in a second. Um, It's not World Cup related, but Major League Soccer. Oh, my God. (laughs) We'll talk about this a lot more at a later date. So much more. But the LA Galaxy got dinged for a roster rule violation on the Christian Pavone deal. It turned out that a free loan with a $15 million buy option wasn't a thing. What? Anyway, Um so that's you know obviously in the wheelhouse for the two of us. Um, we'll talk about that later on. I know people have been DMing me about it. I just want to note. I just want to note
0: that Chris Klein got like a half suspension,
1: a little slap on it's the like, wrist. Oh,
0: like you yeah. can continue making money as the president of a club in, in MLS, but just don't do the sporting duties. Which, Even though you don't do that sporting
1: was not part duties, of his job it's not description. Really, what he yeah. did
0: before, so it's like a, a fake suspension. Suspension. But you know what?
1: what? He also sits on the product strategy committee. Yeah.
0: TBD. I do have a question out to Major League Soccer as to whether that counts as a sporting duty, you know, setting the sporting strategy for the entire league. Sporting duty. Spoody. Oh boy. <laughs> I okay. don't know. You TBD. To, you to okay? <laughs> I would I would I would expect that if you are found to be in you know, specifically violating the roster rules that you shouldn't be on the committee that decides roster rules. I would also just think that it's a pretty good sign that you should change the roster rules when the people who are sitting on the committee deciding the roster rules are like, you know what? These rules aren't that good. I'm going to break them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's a good call. All right. We'll talk about that more later. Um, Until then, you know, this is our last episode from Qatar, Paul. Hmm. Um, there's that's a little bit sad yeah. it's a little bittersweet we're excited yeah. to go home and see our loved ones of course but uh, yeah it's been a really cool ride so sincere thank you to everyone out there listening to this to everyone out there who's been reading our content and subscribing to The Athletic and supporting us in, in any other way that you may be supporting us we greatly appreciate you I think I, I can probably speak for Paul but you know um, you can also jump in here buddy if you want when I say that you know this has been uh, the experience of our careers for sure uh, it's been an incredible ride, not just these last few weeks at the World' Cup, but really throughout qualifying um, and over the course of the last year and a half. So thank you all for joining. Thank you for making it possible by subscribing to the athletic and paying our money uh, and and yeah, it's been really fun. hopefully you've enjoyed the journey a tenth of much as much. It's late. As we have, um because we've enjoyed it a lot. So thank you.
0: Well Sam before we sign off, you know, I'm looking around our our apartment here in Al Azizia.
1: I don't think that's how you pronounce it. I
0: think it is. I heard it on the metro today. I've been saying It's not Azizia. Azizia?
1: Is it Azizia? you said it weird
0: i i was saying al azizia before it's definitely but it's not Azizia. That. maybe is the right way yeah. i don't know i'm exhausted i love this neighborhood i, I when we first moved here i was like i, I was when like i don't know i thought I, I thought i thought we were going to be in downtown doha yeah. i thought we were going to be in the pearl maybe we were going to be like on a smaller island off of the island that the national team lived in with a much smaller you know uh luxury hotel is this is going um <laughs> No, what what we ended up finding was like that we were in a really cool neighborhood that um we really discovered some cool places, we ate some really good food. We have we had our go-to falafel joint, we had our shawarma joint, we had a really good Afghan lunch, like seven different coffee shops that we got to know the people by, yeah. you know, some of them knew us by name.
1: They know our orders.
0: They know our orders. They all know our orders and um and I just i thought it was really cool so sam I, I was wondering for you what's the like the one thing that you'll take away from this trip that you'll remember as our mm-hmm. as our sign off from doha like your favorite memory whether it's a, a soccer memory uh memory with colleagues a place we've been that, that yeah really will stick with you
1: a few i will say a few um the iran u.s game will stick with me for a long 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 time uh the mexico poland game was a great time in terms of the overall atmosphere. I did not get to go to Mexico, Argentina, which was very sad. Um, The Argentina-Poland game I went to, I saw Poland a lot, which was unfortunate for me actually. But um, Argentina fans were insane, absolutely amazing. Um, So that was really cool. But number one soccer, definitely Iran, USA. That was incredible. Um, Off the soccer field, away from the sport, getting to know a lot of our athletic UA UK colleagues who are over here and who do great work, um, has been really cool. Uh, and just, yeah, spending time with you and some of our other friends here who uh, other journalists, other people in the media program, uh, Michele Giannone, our boy Giannone, um, and some of the folks that work for us soccer and do a great job. Um, yeah, that's been the best part. So
0: no doubt about that from whether, whether it was from the bar at the Moven pick or, you know, the, the falafel joint or whatever, anything between the Moven pick, the jazz p- up, jazz up, shout out to jazz up the Oasis, uh, media, media lounge bar outside. Um, and, and Bubblelicious brunch. Let's not forget that <laughs> with our UK colleagues. It's been a fun trip. It has been really cool to get to know some of the people that we've read and worked with from afar with the UK team, people I've read for longer than, you know, just when we were colleagues at the, at the athletic, um, really cool experience. And, and yeah, like, like Sam said, thankful to everyone who's listened to this podcast. Um, even, even when we are slurring our words and talking weird at five, five or six in the morning, seven in the morning, whatever times we were recording those podcasts watching the sun come up together and making crazy Instagram reels right before we start was recording. Before
1: we recorded the last one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So thank you guys for thank all of you for, for listening. And, uh, I guess we'll talk to you next from
1: i don't know when, who, who knows USA? when our next hopefully. show is gonna be yeah ho- hopefully maybe in 2023 we'll see <laughs> it'll be before then i'm sure but sam, thank you sam for and listening. i gonna take
0: a look sam and i've had a lot of fun hanging out together also sam and i are gonna be taking a break from each other for a couple of weeks we'll hang out with our family what our, our not our sam has a dog i don't have a dog i've got
1: you know. All right. We got to end this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's getting out of control.
1: Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back when we're back. Shout out Until to Until